0: If there was ever a servant leader, it was Moses. And what Moses, what made Moses such a leader was his immediate and intimate experience with the person of God. Moses knew what it was to be in the presence of God, to know what it was to meet with the Lord, and then to lead the people. To share in that experience. There's so much of the book of Exodus that concerns the presence of God. Over and again, God is instructing the people where they might meet with Him. And God was teaching the people how to approach Him to see His glory. But I was particularly struck with this episode in the experience of Moses, Second Corinthians makes it clear that this was a very important event in the career of that servant leader. And as prospective servant leaders here, it will do us good to follow Moses, God's servant, as he leads the way to seeing God. Knowing something of the background, the backdrop of this passage certainly adds force to it. The golden calf in chapter 32 seemed to put the whole program of God's redemptive history and God's redemptive program in jeopardy. But the Lord graciously spared the nation through the intercession of Moses. But it appeared at that time that God was ready to let the people have that land of promise. They had made their way out of the land of Egypt. They had received the law at Sinai but I say there was that terrible episode of the golden calf. Spared because of Moses' intercession? Yes. But I say it appeared that God was ready to let them go into the promised land, but he said, I'm not going to go with you. And when Moses heard that, notwithstanding how much more advantageous and attractive the land of promise was going to be, if God didn't go, If God's presence was not with him, then he did not want to go. And that led to the prayer in chapter 33, as Moses prayed, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And the Lord revealed to him magnificently there in chapter 34 and verse 6, what that glory was. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands, forsaking iniquity and transgression and sin that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, under the third and to the fourth generation. What a revelation of God, the glory of God that the Lord revealed to Moses. The point for now, though, is simply that God will grant yearnings, the yearning heart, those that are yearning to know God's presence, those that are desiring to know something of meeting what it is to meet with the Lord, that God indeed will grant those yearnings for those that truly seek Him. The psalmist said, one thing I've desired, that I will seek after the Lord to behold the beauty of the Lord. So as we meditate upon this text today, particularly with our semester theme of what it is to be a servant leader. I want us simply to follow Moses, and as the servant leader, to come into that immediate presence, into the experience of that presence of the Lord. Three simple thoughts. There's no deep theology or no technical exegesis that I bring to your attention, but simple thoughts about seeing God, which I submit to you are prerequisites are prerequisites for those that are going to be servant leaders in the kingdom of Christ. Three thoughts. I say, first of all, that seeing God is conditional. Seeing God is conditional. We have to meet the Lord on his terms. And any spiritual encounter that we have with the Lord is going to be not haphazard, but it's going to be by appointment. The Lord is going to be where he says he is going to be. Over and again in Exodus, the Lord tells the people, here is where I am. And if you want to meet me, this is where you must be. God is not playing hide and seek with his people. God didn't tell us, seek me. And then as we get close, he disappears and goes someplace else. He's not playing games with us. God tells us exactly where he is. And if we want to meet with him, if we want to see with him, we're going to follow his terms. We're going to be where he is. There are three times particularly. Uh, where the Lord says there, I will meet with you. I don't have time to develop all of that, but first of all, the Ark of the Covenant, that Ark that speaks of that immediate presence of God, just a picture. God was not a box, but that box became a symbol, became a representation of the presence of God with his people. And the Lord says, you want to meet with me? You come, you come to the Ark. You come to the mercy seat, the place of propitiation. And we can be certain that if we want to meet with God, we always get to the mercy seat. We always get to the cross. Uh, And we can be certain that God will meet his people there. But then at the altar, a burnt offering, Uh, the place of consecration, the place of sanctification. Those that come unto God must do so with clean hands and a pure heart. And here is the consecration now that is given uh, unto the Lord. And then the third place is there at the altar of incense. Remember the tripartite uh, construction of the tabernacle. Uh, and, and there, just adjacent uh, to the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place, that great veil, but right smack up against the veil was the altar of incense, that which speaks of prayer. And as the smoke uh, would ascend from that altar of incense and waft over into that dark place, that most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. Oh, uh, what a lesson this gives us in prayer. If you want to meet with God, you're going to be in the place of prayer. Uh, and in that symbolism of the tabernacle, you couldn't get closer. They could not get closer to God. The ark, uh, uh, the altar of incense was as close to the immediate presence of God, symbolized in the ark, as you could be this side of the veil. And I would submit to you that as close as we're ever going to be to God, this side of the veil uh, is going to be in the place of prayer so i say over and again uh, and i digress there before i get to my points but the the idea here is that god meets his people god has told us where he is and as we look at the episode before us there are three things particularly i'm saying that seeing god is conditional seeing god is conditional and there are three conditions particularly uh, that are before us in this text first of all there's a willingness to obey If we're going to meet with God, there must be a willingness to obey. Moses was the servant of God. It's a title that he owned on earth. It's a title, according to Revelation, that he owns still in heaven. He was the servant of God. And over and again, we have instructions or indications that God revealed something to Moses. And Moses then did what God told him to do. Over and over again, God instructed Moses and we're told he did what he was commanded to do. Uh, You see that particularly in regard to the construction of the tabernacle. Uh, The Lord gave various detailed constructions, right? There's the blueprint of the tabernacle, detailed instructions. As God says, I want you to make this, this wide and no wider, this tall, no taller, this long, no longer use these materials, no other materials, Uh, very detailed instructions as to how to build the tabernacle. And then, Following that, we have the building of the tabernacle. And again, we're told over and again that Moses did what God commanded him to do. As God said, Moses did. And in this episode, in this episode, we have the same thing. God gave instructions to Moses, uh, and Moses carried those out to a T. And that's the first lesson that we want to learn here, uh, that as servant leaders, there must be a willingness to obey the word of God. Christ said that he that hath my commandments and keeps them, it's he that loveth me, and I will manifest myself to him. There's an obedience, obedience to the Word of God, an obedience that does not equate to heartless legalism, an obedience that is not some kind of a bargaining tool that we're going to uh, use with God to get Him to do something for us, but a willingness a willingness to put ourselves in a place where we are going to see the Lord. There's no place for rebels in God's presence. There's no place for those that are disobedient to God blatantly in God's presence. We have to come with clean hands, have to come with a pure heart. And this is the requirement. This is the condition. This is the condition. Uh, And this obedience then is going to become a a, a stepping stone uh, to the vision of the Lord. Sometimes that way may be tough, may be steep, but we follow God. The instructions that God gives our obedience. This is why it's imperative that we are people of the book, that we are men and women of the book. The instructions that God gives to us, that we must obey ourselves. Uh, It's not for us just to tell others to obey. There's going to be this personal experience that's going to become clear even more so here in just a moment. But that's the first condition. There must be a willingness to obey. But there must be a willingness to enter the cloud. A willingness to enter into the cloud requires a walk of faith. The pathway to God's presence is not always clear. Exodus chapter 24 describes the scene of Mount Sinai, this mountain that Moses was to ascend. Uh, and my assumption is that the mountain in chapter 34 is the same as what it was in 24. Hebrews 12 describes this as an untouchable place, a place that burned with fire. There was darkness. There was blackness. There was tempest. It had to be a fearful sight. There's Mount Sinai, this huge mountain, and there it's the the cloud has descended upon it. Had to be a very foreboding sight. Had to be a very fearful sight. And it's through that deep and dark cloud that God says, Moses, come here. Come here. Had to go into that cloud. Not knowing exactly what he would find. Not to know exactly what the course was going to be. Had to be a... Very fearful sight, I would think. Uncertain. Uncertain. But I like the description that Nahum gives of these clouds. Remember that? In that song of majesty in the opening chapter of Nahum's prophecy. Nahum says the clouds are but the dust of his feet. Just the dust of his feet. We see the clouds and we get intimidated. We see the clouds we often get fearful, but if we can have the faith to realize that even through the clouds, even through the uncertainties, that God is manifesting himself to us. How often, yeah, how often have you been in an airplane and on the ground it's stormy and it's raining and it's cloudy and it's windy and uh, it, it, it looks to be scary. How can this thing, how can this thing fly? But you make your way through the storm. You make your way up through those clouds, and all of a sudden, as you burst through those clouds, there's nothing but brightness and sunshine. Uh, And and so it is. So it is. We don't always know exactly. We don't know exactly what the journey is going to, to be. But wherever the Lord leads, we must follow. Wherever He points, we must go. And there must be a willingness. There must be a willingness to follow the Lord even when we don't know all the facts, even when we don't know all the implications but if we're going to be in that personal experience, if we're going to enjoy that personal experience of the presence of God, there's going to be sometimes I say this willingness to enter into the cloud, to follow God regardless God doesn't, have, God doesn't owe us all the details of the journey. Abraham, come out of Ur of the Chaldees. Where? I'll show you. Don't, want, don't bother. Just follow me. Just follow me. Uh, not knowing what was going to be there. And when he got there, when he got there, it was contrary to expectation. He had the implication. This was going to be a great land for God is taking me. And, and there's famine. There's famine, not what you would expect, not what you'd expect. We don't always know, but God doesn't owe us the explanation as to what every step is going to be, but we follow him. And there must be that willingness, must be that willingness to enter even to the cloud. And the third condition here in this episode is a willingness to be alone, a willingness to be alone. Go to chapter 34 and verse 3. As God is giving Moses instructions here. says, no man shall come up with thee. You come by yourself. You come by yourself. So willingness. I say to be alone. And that really is the bottom line here. That really is the bottom line that a vision of God is a private experience. The vision of God is a private experience. You cannot see the Lord. Yeah? You cannot see the Lord through somebody else's eyes. You can't rely on the experience of another. Oh, it's good to be in the company of those who have seen the Lord, but you can only really enjoy what you have personally known and how important this is how important this is for would-be servant leaders in the church would-be servant leaders in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus to have this personal this personal experience as ministers of the gospel, as leaders in the church. It is absolutely vital that we know God other than by hearsay. Yeah. Other than by hearsay. And so often all all we read about God here and we read about our theology and we do all. Yeah. No substitute. You can't see God through somebody else's eyes. And particularly as ministers. I think of this often. There's a real sense in which I can only give to others as a minister, as a preacher. I can only give to others the overflow of what I myself have taken in. And uh, if we lament the day, don't we lament today that preaching is so shallow? Yeah, we hear that all, oh, how shallow preaching is there. Shallow, 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 shallow. Well, if it is, what does that say about the personal experiences? If we're only giving the overflow of what we have ourselves taken in, that's a sobering thing to me. Again, this is why we must be in the word of God and why we must use every tool and every aspect of understanding that word so that we can bring into our hearts that experience, that personal experience of the knowledge of God to know him personally, not just by secondhand reports, not by just trying to go with the flow or with somebody else who has testified that they have known the Lord. Say it's good to be in company with those who've seen the Lord, but it's imperative that we know that personal experience of being alone with God. Moses was alone. Jacob was alone when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. Daniel was alone when he saw that celestial vision. John was alone there on the Isle of Patmos. Corporate desire is good, but I say it's imperative that we have that personal experience. So there are conditions. That's the first lesson that I want us to learn from this episode in Moses's career, that seeing God Is conditional. The second lesson is this, that seeing God is certain. Seeing God is certain. You remember the words that the prophet gave to King Asa, that the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found of you. It's a promise that is repeated in God's word over and over again. That if we seek him with all of our heart, he will be found of us. I say, God's not playing games with us. He's not playing hide and seek with us. If we seek him, if that's the desire of the heart, to seek him with all of our heart, with that sincerity, the Lord says, I will be found of you. I think of that promise that... James gives to us. You know what I'm talking about? What does James say? Draw near to me. The Lord says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. What a promise that is. What a promise that is. If we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And while I take that as a promise, I have to say so often it's a rebuke to my own heart. It's a rebuke to my own heart because if it is true, If it is true, and it is, first-class condition, if it is true that God will draw near to me as I draw near to him, let's face it, that means that at any given moment, at any given time, I'm as close to God as I want to be. Yeah. I'm as close to him as I want to be. So let's not be blaming God for hiding and no, no, no. God promises that he will meet with us, that he will show himself to us if we come with that sincerity of heart. We're certain to find him, but not always what we expect. It's not always what we expect. God knows what we need more than we know ourselves. When Moses saw God at Horeb, the burning bush, the shoeless Moses learned that God is that changeless, that sovereign I am. I am, I am. And you tell the people that I am and you go down and deliver. He learned of that sovereignty of God. He learned of that covenant revelation of God. That was the lesson at the burning bush. When he went up Sinai the first time, He learned that God was righteous as he received those tablets of the law. And now as he ascends Sinai this second time, he's admitted into the very inner shrine of God. And we read a moment ago what he learned of God this time. Merciful, compassionate, covenant loyalty, just. God reveals himself in ways that are best for us at the appropriate time. So these answers to prayer for a spiritual vision are not always necessarily what we expect, but it's always what we need. And those that wait upon the Lord in that way will never be disappointed. Those that wait upon the Lord Will not come to frustration. If we delight ourselves in the Lord, He'll give us the desires of our heart. And don't abuse that. I know there are so many that take that particular promise if I delight in the Lord, okay, God, yes, there's you. Now then, give me what I want over here. You don't play games with God, you don't manipulate God. You don't use God. God is not a means to an end. God is the end. God is the end. And if we truly delight ourselves in the Lord, he'll give us the desire of our heart. What's the desire of our heart? What we delight in. It's the Lord himself. It's the Lord himself. And God, you know, I I grew up hearing, you ever hear this statement, God can do anything? God can do anything. I'm telling you what, there's a whole bunch of stuff God can't do. God cannot disappoint his people. God cannot disappoint his people. He can't sin. Yeah, we understand that. God, His nature determines who he is and what he does. But if our delight is truly in the Lord, how can we be disappointed? How can we be disappointed when he reveals himself to us? So seeing God is certain. The last thing I say from the text is this, this episode, that seeing God has consequences. Seeing God has consequences. Unmistakable effects. The outstanding aspect of, of this episode is that when Moses came down from the mount, his face shone. His face showed. There had been no mistaking that Moses had been with God. And you cannot be in God's presence. Let's get this. You cannot be in God's presence without being changed. You can't be with God without being godly. And the more we see him, the more we see him, the more we're going to be like him. We saw that in the text in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We look into this glass. We look into this mirror, the word of God that reveals to us Jesus. And as we, the more we look, we are changed from glory unto glory. It changes us. I, I think of those statements that John makes in, in his first epistle, talking about the second coming of Christ when he comes. He says, we'll, we'll purify ourselves, even as he him pure, is pure. Why? Because we see him as he is. There's something about seeing Jesus that makes us like him. There's something about seeing Christ that makes us like him. John's talking about our glorification. When Christ comes back, we're gonna be changed just like he is. We'll be like him because we see him. As close as the Bible ever comes to explaining how glorification works, It's right there, seeing Jesus. I submit to you that if seeing Jesus is the secret and the mechanics by which we will be glorified, seeing Jesus is the mechanics by which we are going to be sanctified. There's something about seeing Jesus that makes us like him. We are changed from glory unto glory. How do you want to be known? You want to be known as a great preacher? You want to be known as a Hebrew scholar? Frankly, I don't care. You know, I I don't care how whether the world knows I'm a Hebrew scholar or no. I don't care. But I would like to be known by this. That when people see Barrett, he's been with Jesus. Yeah? He's been with Jesus. That is the key thing. As you're, you're here studying, and some of you are going to be scholars when you grow up. My guess is, right? Some of you are going to be great preachers when you grow up. That's my guess. Some of you are going to have big churches, some small churches. when you, You're going to have all these, and that's good, but how do you want to be known? Let it be known that our face is shining. Yeah. Because we've seen the Lord and we've, see, we've, been, we've been with Jesus unmistakable effect, his face shone. But this is the most impressive thing to me. He didn't know it. He didn't know it. He wished not, he knew not that his face shone. Moses was glorious in all eyes but his own. He was not conscious of himself, But here is a genuine spiritual humility. And if any characteristic must be true of those would-be servant leaders, it must be humility. It must be humility. It's a mark of a true servant. I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical of those who tell me how shiny their face is. Yeah. I'm skeptical of those. No. There's no place for pride. There's no place for arrogance. We're servants. We're servants. And it's only as we come to recognize that servanthood... Yeah, that we can then lead others. Humility. And the last thing is that Moses then had a message. He had a message. You see that in verse 34? Moses went in to be with the Lord. And when he came out, he spoke to the people what he was commanded. He spoke to the people what he was commanded. Those that have a sight of God, those that know something of the glory of God, always have a telling message for man. Isaiah saw the Lord. High, lifted up. Send me, he says. I've got a message. Send me. Ezekiel saw that glorious vision. He fell down upon his face, and the Lord stood him up. Speak thus saith the Lord. There's a, there's, there's a message. There's a message. In consequence, upon seeing the Lord. John saw the Lord, exalted Christ on Patmos, and there was a message. You can't see the Lord, then without having that telling message for others. But you notice what the message is. Moses heard something. He learned something from the Lord. And he told the people what God had said. There's where our authority is. Yeah. That's the only place of our authority. You, you have no authority just to give your opinions, right? There are too many pulpits out there that are just expressing opinions. Opinions matter nothing. I have opinions about everything, a lot of stuff. Don't laugh at me. My wife is here today, she knows. I have a lot of opinions, but my opinions, if you disagree with me, yeah, my opinions are better than yours, but they're no more authoritative, right? They're no more authoritative. Our only authority as we stand in this pulpit, as we seek to lead in the work of the kingdom, is thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. That's why you're here. That's why you're here to learn the word and to learn how to interpret the word and how to exegete the word. That's your only authority. You keep your finger on that text. You keep your finger on that text. And then make your way to the pulpit. Make your way to whatever the sphere of service is. It's thus saith the Lord. So a servant leader. Here's Moses. What an example he is. Here's an example to follow. I don't want to be like Moses. Yeah. I want to be like Christ. So we follow Moses as he followed Christ. We follow Paul as he followed Christ. And you can tell your people, you follow me as I follow Christ. You're the leader. But there are some significant conditions, aren't there? So may God help us. May God help you as you have a lifetime of ministry ahead of you. You know, most of my ministry is behind me. Your ministry is ahead of you. How do you want to be known? It's my desire that I'm known. I don't care how I'm known in the academy, that means nothing to me. I don't care how I'm known as this, but I I do pray that I'm known at least in some degree as having been with Jesus. Amen. Oh, Lord. We're thankful for the calling that we have into thy service. It's humbling. It's fearful. But how wonderful. So we pray, Lord, that we would, as men and women here, know it is, first of all, to serve thee, and then to serve others as leaders as we are led by thee. Seal this word to our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.